This is Through the Badlands Podcast, and on this episode, we have Chris. Chris, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Chris Hatchett. I am a uh, director and producer uh, based out of Dallas, Texas, working in Atlanta and Los Angeles. And um, I'm also the owner of Cinema Adventure, which is a peer learning um, international cinematography and photography workshop. I also seen that some like really neat photos on Facebook. Do you also do photography or is that kind of just a pastime for you in between filmmaking and other projects you work on? You know, I started in this whole industry um, as a photographer. Um, I, I do professional photography. I kind of limit it to choice uh, projects that I'll take on. But um, mostly photography has kind of become a hobby. Um, but again, I still have, you know, a couple um, photography and stills accounts um, that I still do work with. Um, like I, I shoot a lot of uh, social media content for uh, Patron Tequila. I shoot a lot of food and beverage photography um, professionally and then kind of street photography, weather photography and all that kind of stuff as a hobby. So do you normally do freelancing? Yeah, I right now I'm 100% freelance. That may change soon, but mm -hmm. as for right now, I'm 100% freelance and have been for probably, gosh, 10 years. Um, before those 10 years, were you working at a studio or what were you doing? Yeah, so I actually, I got my start in the industry working in the church. Um, you know, living in Dallas, Texas, there's a handful of mega churches to choose from. And what's great about that is they actually have media departments, most of them, set up just like any other production, um, production house, you know. So I got the feel of working as a producer in an agency type setting where we had project managers and design and graphic designers to work with and, you know, a, a post house to work with internally. So I kind of worked through that to learn the process of the agency workflow. And it was great because it was a super forgiving environment because, you know, it was a church, you know, we all knew that we weren't perfect. We all strive for excellence, but at the end of the day, we were a church, so it was a much less stressful uh, going that route than jumping into the agency route straight off and losing your job because you didn't make somebody's coffee right, you know? <laughs> you know, you worked at a church and then you started doing freelancing. What was kind of like the hardest thing or what surprised you the most starting the freelance journey? Um, I think one of the things that was hardest was... Um, prospecting. Um, I'm great at closing deals. Um, as a matter of fact, a lot of my buddies will call me and say, Hey, I need you to help me close this project. I'll pay you X, but it's really too small of a project to need a producer. But if you'll help me close it, I'll pay you, you know, a certain amount to help me do that. I'm like, all right, cool. Um, but this, the, the generating sales and cold calling and trying to drum up clients out of the woodwork. I think that was the most surprisingly difficult process starting out as a freelancer because, you know, there's oftentimes the, uh, you know, the fresh out of film school kid with a DSLR, you know, wanting to do videos on the cheap and driving the cost down. And so trying to like sell stuff at the rate while being a young kid at the same time, it's like, you know, you, you have clients that look at you and, you know, you're this, 25 year old kid next to another 25 year old kid fresh out of film school that doesn't care about the value of video. He just wants to get stuff done. And you're trying to sell video at 
regular value. And they're like, well, you're just a kid with a camera. So I'm going to hire this other kid with a camera. That became surprisingly difficult, I think. Right. I often feel like a lot of us creatives will get just engulfed in our gear in the creative process and not really in the freelance or business aspects because there's a lot of, you know, pretty good filmmakers or pretty good sound designers, but they're doing really well as a business. Uh, They're able to, you know, focus on their business and, you know, get more clients while, you know, there's quite a few people that are really good filmmakers, but might not be getting that next client for some time. Right, right. You know, it's, I think it's extremely important um, to not just be creative, especially if you're going to be a one man show um, or a one man band rather. Um, If you're going to do that, you have to kind of split your brain and use both hemispheres. You need to have that creative mindset. You need to have that forward thinking and innovative mindset. But at the same time, you need to be extremely left brain too and analytical and calculated and restrain yourself from dropping money on a camera body that is going to lose its value quicker than a car driving off a lot. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like, you know, you have to have business sense. And I think that's one of the things that I've had the most success, um, you know, speaking in public forums about and blogging about is the business side of film, Uh, because I do have a business background. And so that's kind of why I pursued producing, because so many of my friends and stuff, you know, they're like, hey, we need a contract for this or, hey, we need to kind of like strategize on how to how to grow our company. Okay, well, cool. Let me help you. Let me come alongside you for a season and walk beside you and kind of show you some things that help me. And maybe you can show me some things that I haven't seen yet, you know, and, but being able to, you know, analyze your cost of doing business, being able to figure out what you need to make on the daily to where that way you can actually pay yourself a salary and not have to live the paycheck to paycheck mindset. Most freelancers do. Um, it just kind of takes a little bit of a perspective shift um, and having forethought and being strategic about where you spend money on. Because, I mean, let's face it, all of us have been there where we've gotten that, you know, really high paying job. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go buy this camera. I'm going to go buy this uh, slider. I'm going to go buy this. I'm going to go buy this. All the stuff that's been on my want list. It's like one fell swoop. Whereas if I kind of trickle that out and make sound um sound choices whenever I'm choosing gear and say, okay, well, I have all this gear I want. Let me buy this piece of gear and then pay for it and then pay itself off. And then now every time I rent it out, now it's making profit and I can take that profit and put it into the next piece of gear. You know what I mean? And so that way the money's not coming out of my business pocket. It's coming out of the profits from the gear that I've wisely invested in. What is something that do you think separates from uh, beginning filmmakers and more experienced filmmakers like yourself? Is it because, you know, you just kind of talked in detail about the business aspects. Is that what kind of separates from the beginner freelancer to the experienced freelancer? I think there's a lot of factors. I definitely think that's one factor out of many. Um, I think um, maturity, obviously, that that plays a big part. Um, and it's not, I'm not just talking about like, oh, you're a mature person, but you're a mature business person. You know how to push back when you know a client is trying to, um, drive your bid down. You know when to, um, call something out 
and be blunt about it, but also yet at the same time, be professional, um, how to work a room, um, when you're negotiating and dealing with a client, that type of maturity is what I'm speaking about. Also too, I think there's, um, the maturity of being business savvy. And I don't think that a business savvy young freelancer would have any type of different success than a freelancer that has become business savvy over a period of time. I mean, if they can still light, shoot, compose, edit, and and craft an, an image and, and be creative and come up with all these creative ideas, I don't really think there's anything that really separates a novice from a pro other than time in the field, um, making the mistakes and learning from them. I think that's a big thing. I mean, I think people get too critical of themselves when they make mistakes and they don't realize that it's a, it's a learning point. It's not a mistake. It's a, okay, well, I know that if, you know, X plus Y equals this, then I shouldn't combine those two again because I'm going to get the same result. You right. know, being able to learn from the mistakes, I think, sets a experienced anybody. I don't care if you're a creative or working a nine to five as an accountant. Having experience in making mistakes, I think, uh, grows you uh, from a maturity standpoint. Right. That's also very interesting, too, because, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people just starting out might work on a short film for a very, very long time. But maybe the best course of action is, you know, try to make a really good short film, but then realize later on after you finish about the mistakes and take those mistakes with you for the next film and not just ponder and think about, oh, I can make this better. I can make this better. I can make this better. Because very often for me, when I was starting out, I would work on a short film for days, like just endless hours. And because I was just like just critiquing the smallest stuff. Right. But now... You know, it's like, okay, I need to do a good job first and then step back a little bit and see what I can do better on. Right. And I think, you know, you can you can get into a dangerous mindset of overanalyzing everything. I think, you know, you can work on a project and look at an edit over and over for days on end and get into the realm of picking nits. And then you don't free yourself up to go back back and look at it and go, Hey, you know what? Um, I might've picked this apart. <laughs> yeah. Um, I might've picked it too much. Um, I think also too, at the same time of having, um, maturation in the industry is being able to pull somebody into your project or just be able to send them a link and say, Hey, I really admire your work. I would love to get your eyes on this and just maybe give me a little bit of feedback of what you thought and then take their feedback and actually process that. They may say something of like, oh, this is total garbage. Most people won't, but you need to be prepared for whatever you might hear because if you ask somebody for honest feedback, you can't get upset if they give you honest feedback and get defensive. Um, I think that's, um, creative immaturity is to get defensive when you ask for feedback and somebody gives you feedback and you take that as an insult rather than constructive criticism. You know, right. um, a lot of people I see on these forums and stuff, you know, they're like, Hey, you know, check out my color grade or, Hey, you know, check out my lighting setup and Hey, what do you think of this? You know, what would you have done better? And when somebody comments, they get all mad. 
you know, it's like they just wanted a pat on the back and say, oh yeah, it looks good, man. But you're not going to grow in that form. You know, if you're just looking for a pat on the back and a, you know, an attaboy, then how can you expect people to number one, engage with you in future critique, but number two, how can you expect yourself to grow? And I think that's the most important thing is to keep that pursuit of growth. Right. And like what you just said, I think feedback is really the most important. And it's kind of funny to me because some people will say, Hey Luke, can I get some feedback on this? And I tell them the feedback and they get defensive. Like, right. oh, it was this because it's this. Or that was a creative choice. <laughs> like, for me, that's the funniest excuse is, oh, that was my creative vision. It's like, uh, I, I don't think so. I think he just kind of messed up. <laughs> right, right. You know, call it what it is. That was a mistake. And now you can Bob Ross it. And you can turn that mistake into a bird, mm-hmm. you know, or you can turn that state, that mistake into a happy tree. Yeah. Um, but don't try to, you know, excuse something as, oh, that's cre-, like try to say, oh, yeah, that's a that's a creative decision. No, no, it wasn't. That was a mistake. But you can make that into something great, you know. Right. Um, even when it comes to sound, a lot of the best Foley that that we've used, I've kind of tripped into. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like you, you, somebody scoots a chair in the room like the right way that has like the right frequency. And you're like, wait a minute. No, that's the sound that we need for, for, for this. It may be a completely unrelated project, but it's like that accident of somebody scooting a chair in the background of a take. Like you're going, wait, no, we can use that, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, going back to what you said, I think, you know, critique, um, especially um, if you're going to ask for it, you need to be able to take it. Right. And that also gets weird for a lot of beginners that first hear that advice because then they're kind of taking every single bit of advice and not weeding out the ones that might just kind of be harmful. Because I, I used to kind of do this and basically sometimes I would hear feedback and I just want to be quite right or I want to feel like it's coming from um, a good heart or a good place from that feedback. So it's also kind of weird to take that feedback and knowing what are the ones that would really help you um, in the future. Right. Because there are people out there that'll just troll you, you know, especially if you're asking for feedback in a public forum or even like in a private, you know, know, creative group. There are people out there that'll troll you just because they're in a weird mood or that they're just bored, you know. So kind of filtering things out is extremely important. Right. What is like, do you think the scariest thing for freelancers to do, whether it be beginner or, you know, um, experience? One of the scariest things? Yeah. Being a freelancer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Taking the jump? Yeah, taking the jump. I mean, I personally have loved it. Um, I've gotten really fortunate to be attached to some really cool projects Um, and yet at the same time, I've had the misfortune of being passed over for some really, really cool projects. Um, and that's okay too. But I think, you know, going away from the nine to five, even in the creative space, I like, I tell people this, I like having a creative buffet, you know, if I'm working at an agency, yeah, it's a guaranteed paycheck, but you can also have a guaranteed paycheck as a freelancer. You just need to know how to hustle and you need to know what you need to, what you need to make per day 
to stay in business. And at the same time, I mean, I don't work every day. I could have, you know, two months off at a time and then go travel. I mean, that's what I'm doing kind of this summer. Um, you know, I'm taking a month off to travel and in what other job in America do you get to do that? Um, so I think there's intrepidation for sure. When you take that leap and go away from your job that may have benefits, um, or that job that may have super comfortability because it's what, you know, it's what you've done It's maybe what you've done for the past five years, but taking that leap now you're in control of your future work and your future destiny and you're building money and you're building wealth for yourself versus making somebody else money. Right. Was it scary for you taking that jump from working at a church and then all of a sudden kind of doing freelancing? Um, <laughs> to be honest, my choice was made for me. I didn't really make that choice. And it was kind of a unique situation where it was kind of one of those deals where my time was up. I'd served my purpose. I'd kind of hit the limit working there. And uh, my boss sent me down one day and said, hey, we're going to cut you loose. We know that you're going to be successful and we want you to be able to um, go into that. It was kind of the uh, mama bird kicking the baby bird out of the nest because baby bird had gotten too comfortable in the nest, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was, honestly, I was really, really, I didn't take it the way I should have at first. Um, and now looking back, I'm kind of like, you know what, I'm glad that choice was made because I don't know if I would have made that choice for a while. And then I would have delayed, um, the, the joy of freelancing, um, uh, even further in life, you know, cause I'm, I kind of started in this a little bit, um, older than most do, you know, most guys, they start in this, you know, around their early twenties. Um, fresh out of high school or even like while they're in high school shooting stuff, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and maybe it's skate videos or maybe it's whatever. But I started into this, you know, after a military career and kind of figuring out, okay, well, what do I want to do now? Now that I'm back in the civilian world, what do I want to do? And so, you know, I think being forced into the creative space and in the freelancing space, I think that was a good thing. I didn't, I certainly, like I said, didn't think so at the time, but, um, it's scary kind of getting the rug yanked out from underneath you. And it's kind of like, you know, you go skydiving for the first time, you get pushed out of the plane, you know? Yeah. That's scary. You know, <laughs> it's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's quite frightening and quite jarring, but then, you know, once you get used to it, once you kind of get in your swing of the things and get in your daily process, I think it can be quite rewarding and quite joyful. If someone is working a nine to five job, and they feel stable, they feel comfortable in this job, but they know they want to do freelancing. What is a good way for them to, you know, just kind of quit and go the freelancing route? Just do it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, a good strategy that I would recommend that I kind of wish I had done had I seen that transition coming um, is, you know, save up six months rent. Um, Work, work that job, have a strategy in mind, a departure strategy to where you're stashing some money away. And maybe that means not going out and drinking every night. Maybe that means, you know, making your own meals at home. Maybe that means getting creative with your personal budget. Um, but squirrel away some money to when you do make that leap, you're still able to pay yourself in the same frequency at the same rate um, that you're getting paid from your job um, and use that time to work on building your website, your brand, or even start doing that before you make the leap. So as a matter of fact, I would, I would change it to this, actually. Start building your new brand while you're at your job, in your off time, in your evenings, you know, 
crack open a beer, sit on your back patio or wherever's your kind of thinking space, crack open your laptop, start building a website for yourself, put all of your best work on it, um, put your best content, start blogging um, and, and, and get an online presence set up, cut a reel, and then at the same time, start saving money like I was saying before. Um, save money up for you can have at least a six month to a 12 month cushion. So that way you're not financially stressed as you're changing into this freelancer uh, world. Right. And that's kind of like the weird topic that not a lot of people like to cover is personal finances. You know, people need to have that knowledge, whether it be nine to five job, but in a way, especially for freelancers, because when we do a job, we don't know, we might not know when the next one is coming. So we kind of need that cushion to even, you know, put food on the table. That's right. You know, and, and I always tell people, you know, out of out of your job, um, I mean, for example, this is how I do things personally. Out of my jobs, I take uh, 10%, put it into savings, and then I take another 25% and I put that into a separate savings um, to where that is my cushion. Um, and then I'll pay my bills with the remaining percentage. Eventually, you know, once I get, once I get some stuff paid off on my end and some stuff that I've invested in that I need to get paid off, then I'm going to start, you know, doing IRA investing and stuff like that to where I can actually take money and set it aside. Cause you know, I want to retire one day. Um, so being able to have money set aside that I can do that, that's maturing and growing, um, is helpful. Um, I think for many creatives, it's super beneficial to find a, um, find a money manager. Um, there's, there's a few in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex that I can recommend. I use box financial, um, over in Grapevine, Texas. Um, and what they do is they, they help me figure out, okay, cool. Here's the best way to get out of debt fast. And going through different, you know, financial freedom stuff helps set you on the right path to freelance success. Because I don't care what part of the industry you're in, um, unless you have, you know, financial freedom, you're not gonna, you're not gonna enjoy freelancing. Um, if you don't have a mindset of saving, then you're not going to last in freelancing very long, and then you're going to end up, you know, just being stressed all the time. Um, and I still, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. I still make dumb choices sometimes where, you know, it's like, okay, should I invest in this piece of gear right now? No, but I really want to. So I'm going to, you know, I mean, it's, it's not a perfect formula by any means, but if you can at least use that as, um, as a base ideal, then I think you will be on the right path. Right. And that's really interesting about new gear because that want becomes a need. Like, yeah. I need this now. I need this to grow my business. But actually, most of the time, I don't find that to be true. It's actually more of a want than anything. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd be remiss if I said that, you know, uh, any any DP wouldn't want to buy, you know, a Red or um, an Alexa Mini. You know, I think those are the two, like, biggest, you know, desires from any up and coming DP. Oh yeah, I want to shoot on this. Well, that's great. Buy you a good set of, you know, cine lenses and then rent those bodies until you can save up enough to buy one, you know? Right. Like do pay everything in cash and have money left over. You know, that 
just because it's a, a, a need, I guarantee you, your client is not going to, unless they're a very technically savvy client, they're not going to know any difference about whatever camera you use to shoot on. You know, as long as, as long as the image is in focus, it's in the right resolution for what they're wanting to display it on. They, they could not care less. So why spend extra money that you don't have and get yourself into a mountain of debt trying to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to invest in uh, a, a red Gemini, you know, red's latest and greatest, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to invest in a red Gemini and then I'm going to use it, you know, to pay myself. I'm going to have it paid off in, in, you know, X amount of time when well, you're not because you may think you'll rent it all the time, but that's not always the case, you know. So if you pay for it in cash and still have money left over, then if you don't rent it out as much as you need to, you're not stressed about it. You know, everybody, especially, you know, not to knock on millennials, but, you know, instant gratification is a big danger to the freelancer. Delayed gratification and smart spending, you can get the job done for less. Um, You can get the job done with a more streamlined, you know, workflow and you don't have to pull out all the big stops to be a serious filmmaker. I wanted to buy like new microphones to record ambiences. This was about like a year and a half ago or two years maybe. And I had this set up in mind and it was $3,000. Well, there was no way I was going to be able to afford $3,000. Right. So I bought these pretty darn good mics for about $200. And I put them like on this like stereo bar on a $50 stand and to not have any wind noise, I covered it with a sock. Nice. And then I draped my dead cat over it. Nice. And the thing is, no one knows that. I've done projects with it. I've got paid to go out film recording with it. Um, I did a few sound libraries with that setup. No one knows besides <laughs> the people listening on this podcast right and and you <laughs> and now me yeah <laughs> yep <laughs> but see for that year and a half i was saving up for three thousand dollars and and i just bought that setup um that last month awesome and now you're walking away with it clear-headed and and that purchase isn't stressing you out financially yep and a lot of things kind of come into play for me to make a decision, um, especially when it's three thousand dollars worth. Right, right. And I mean that's a that's a big that's a big purchase, you know. Yeah. So it's like you know, three three thousand dollars. I could invest that and maybe get seven ten percent, um, tw- maybe maybe twelve percent each year. Well, ten percent is three hundred dollars. Am I going to be making more than $300 with that gear now? Well, I hope. Right. <laughs> There's a That's problem the <laughs> if I'm not. Yeah. There's a problem if I'm not making $300 in one year. Exactly. And, you know, one of the things that I'm, I made a resource available for, for, for everybody um, on my website is um, you can buy, um, I marked it down like super cheap. I think it's like 20 bucks right now. But you can buy a, my cost of doing business calculator. And so what you can do is I've got it broken down into different sections, like with, you know, gear purchases, subscriptions, you know, maybe you're part of a guild or maybe you're part of, you know, you subscribe to uh, an industry magazine or you're part of, you know, Shane's Inner Circle or something. 
Um, and so you have all that in there, you have all your legal stuff, you know, maybe you paid for your LLC and maybe you're paying for, you know, a lawyer to represent you in case somebody wants to get litigious. Um, you can put each of those, you can fill in each of those boxes and you can tell it how many days a year you want to work. And then it'll tell you exactly what you need to make each day to where you can buy those things you want. I'm not telling people out there, don't go buy the gear of your dreams. I'm just saying, be strategic about it. Do like you did, you know, delayed gratification is always the best route to go because, you know, I mean, I've, I've made impulse buys. I bought, um, before I went to Iceland last time, I bought a, um, an A7, an A7S. I was mm-hmm. at the camera store. I'd, I'd always wanted to, I was always curious about mirrorless cameras. I really wanted one. I knew they shot beautiful. I'd seen this video on Vimeo where they shot an entire sequence on the beach just using moonlight to light everything, and it was noiseless. And I was like, I need this camera. It became that I need this camera, you know? Yeah. I buy it. I kid you not, two weeks later, they came out with an A7S II that shoots internal <laughs> oh, 4K. Boy. And I'm like, F, you know? Like, <laughs> if, I had, if I had done the delayed gratification route and I'd been smart about it, then I could have gotten the next camera up. And I could have gotten right. you know something new. Because in the camera world, I always tell people, camera bodies, oh man, they're just a terrible investment. Unless you're in a saturated market where you can rent that out like, you know, half of a month at a time, like 15 days a month, you can rent that out and you know it's guaranteed, go for it. But most people, you know, they buy these cameras and they can't ever get them rented out. And then the newest, latest and greatest comes out and then everybody wants that. You know, I remember one of my buddies years ago, he bought a Red One. And I mean the freaking beast mode red one with a 15 minute boot time, you know, <laughs> like yeah, <laughs> you, you fire it up and then you can go check your emails and maybe order a pizza by the time it's powered on, ready to shoot. And so, but he's like, Oh yeah, I want to rent it out. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well then just before he could even pay it off, they came out with a new body, you know? Mm-hmm. And then they came out with another new one and then they came out with another new one. And it's the same thing, you know? And so I tell people invest in glass glass lives forever. Yeah, they'll come out with new, you know, models and, um, you know, they'll come out with CP3s after you bought the CP2s, but your CP2s are still useful. People still want to rent CP2s, you know? So it's just finding the right, the right stuff to invest in, being financially smart about it. And I don't think it hurts to hire, um, and they're not expensive, but to hire a financial manager to help you make those right choices, especially if you can find one that, um, that, that knows the industry really well, that can help you, you know, turn your investment into an actual return instead of just, oh, I need this cool camera. Right. And the very interesting thing is, I think people think that because I have this, I will now get clients or I can't get clients yet because I don't have this. For example, like uh, some filmmakers would love to have a studio set up for, you know, maybe YouTube tutorials or something like that. Sure. Not everyone has that. So that's kind of limiting them to be able to do that. You know, I'm sure there's some kind of filmmaker job that you can do with someone, maybe he's a a Canon 7D. You don't have to wait for that red camera to go out and be a filmmaker. No, I, I completely agree with that. Your equipment does not make you as a creative. 
I mean, I've seen I've seen some guys, and 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 a matter of fact, I, I say the term guys loosely. I include all of you ladies as well. It's the proverbial guys. We say that in Texas. It's okay, um, <laughs> but I see so many filmmakers out there that get creative with their equipment. Kind of how you talked about, you know, you used you know a pair of a, a pair of mics on a stereo bar and a sock, and you attach your dead cat over it, you know the people I like working with are like the cinema giver types, you know, that's like, okay, so here's what we have to work with. Um, yeah, I can fashion speed rail out of some cheap bars and stuff, um, at home Depot. And, um, yeah, I can, I can take this and this to equal this. And now all of a sudden we're not bloating a budget. And now all of a sudden they're not calling for stuff that we don't need. I mean, I can't tell you from a producer standpoint how freaking annoying it is when, you know, your DP and gaffer get together and put together this massive light order, you know, and you're ordering an 18 wheeler truck full of lights and they only pull half of it out on the shoot. Well, we, you know, we wanted to stuff on standby just in case we needed it. No, order what you need, you know, spend money wisely. Right. Um, I think one of the biggest things from a producer's mindset is, you know, my clients, I take care of their money like it's my own and I spend it like it's my own. Um, sometimes you're like, Oh wow, this is a lot more expensive than I thought. And I'm like, yes, but in order to get from A to B, we have to spend X, you know? Right. And then when I explained it to them that, cause oftentimes, I mean, you've, you've probably come across this with your own clients. Nobody looks at video as an investment. They look at it as a commodity, you know, yep. um, it's like yep. gasoline for your car. You know, I have to put gasoline in my car. So you know, I'm going to go find the cheapest gas in town I can find. Well, that's great. But video is not a commodity. It's an investment in your brand. And how you display your brand to the world is important on the success of your brand. If you put out something that has your brand on it, that has a brand message that looks cheap, then all of a sudden the public perception of your brand is going to be cheapened. Um, I get that quite a bit from just kind of talking to maybe not even clients just kind of talking with different filmmakers about sound and you know they might say well do i need sound for my project well <laughs> like it it's definitely going to be good and it's going to definitely help you out and plus it will make you look way better in front of your clients you know absolutely even if it's all like mos with a vo like you still need to fully in some ambience. You still need to create. I mean, people, I, I, I get so annoyed when people look at, you know, producing content um, and they craft this visually beautiful image, but there's no sound and right. sounds half of the image experience. I mean, you can't truly pull somebody into a scene without some sort of ambience, at least, you know? Right. One thing I've been noticing, I guess, more and more, I try not to think as of sound designer, like all the time when I'm watching a film, I try to like, you know, kind of separate myself and just enjoy the film. But the films or short films, commercials, if they don't have any post sound, the film doesn't feel like it has any weight to it. It just feels like there's image and music and there's no real world or weight or emotion to it right and, and i i would i would completely agree with that because i think if you're trying to pull an emotion from your audience or from your viewer um and bring them into a scene <laughs> if there's no sound 
and there's no intentionality with how you created the ambiance for that scene, you're missing half of your entire product. Right. You know? Yep. And so many people neglect sound and it's like, no, sound is every bit as important as uh, the picture. You know, you marry the two, like you can't have one without the other, you know? Right. Unless you're going for some sort of meta sound only um, experience, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, like I, I could say you could, you could, you could create and tell a story with sound only, but you can't really do that with video only. Now, some people out there would be like, Chris, you're an idiot. Um, I don't believe you. I don't agree with you. And that's fine. But that's just my personal opinion. There's a saying, it's like really cheesy and kind of stupid, but you can shut your eyes, but you can't shut your ears. That's true. You know, like you can always kind of take in the story from a audio perspective, even if it was a feature film made by Hollywood, I'm sure you can probably shut your eyes and still understand what's happening. Correct. Besides um, just freelancing and budgeting on a business sense, what kind of things do you do personally? Like, do you have a personal budget like for your food and stuff? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Um, I, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very much a walking contradiction because I'm great spending other people's money, but I'm not so great spending my own. Um, mm -hmm. like from a personal standpoint, like I'm pretty good at like spending my business money differently than I do my personal money. And it's, it's interesting. I don't know. I don't know why that is. That's, I think that's why I got a money manager. So somebody could, you know, slap some sense in me and go, Hey, you don't need to spend money on that. And I can go, okay, I believe you. You're my money guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I try to run everything off of a budget, but at the same time, you know, you get in the moment you're like, well, okay, I'll splurge on dinner tonight. And I just won't splurge on dinner tomorrow or I'll splurge on this trip and I won't, you know, I'll eat ramen for a week or something. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of a yin right. and yang. I, I definitely, my personal finances are definitely not as organized as my business finances are. I also think though, as freelancers, you know, we need to have some time where we can just kind of spend a little bit of money, go on vacation, have a nice dinner, um, stuff like that. Because I feel like we can get so sucked into kind of like the business world and freelancing and just thinking about film all the time. Like most hours of the day, I'm thinking about sound. Right. But when I'm not, I'm, you know, trying to uh, enjoy whatever, like uh, supper or vacation or something like that. There definitely has to be that balance. And, and I think in no matter what line of industry or what line of work you're in, um, a work-life balance is so crucial. Um, I encourage people to travel as often as they can, and it's kind of that's kind of one of the reasons I started up the Cinema Adventure brand is to entice people to travel. And most people won't travel by themselves, but they'll travel in a group because at the end of the day, human beings are communal creatures, and we want to be a part of something, whatever that something might be, you know. And so to kind of get people traveling and give them an opportunity to learn and do something creative together while at the same time kind of taking a break from the client workflow. I mean, me and a couple of my buddies last time we were in Iceland, I mean, we were just traveling around the island camping wherever we felt like setting up at and shooting without a client overlooking our shoulder, um, without the pressure of 
you know, meeting a deadline. It was just free create um, and capture and take in, you know, the beauty that was there. And I think all three of us came back home, like so motivated and so ready to tackle the next, you know, uh, work project that our creative tanks were full again, because I mean, you can, burnout is a real, real thing. Um, I don't care if you're, uh, you know, if you're in sound or you're in camera, you're in grip electric, you're in production, like it doesn't matter what your role is. You can get burnt out. And when you get burnt out past a certain point, forget it. Like you're useless to anybody around you because you can't think and make choices correctly. You know, um, it's kind of like, you know, when you drive your car past, you know, where you drive your car to the point where you run out of gas, um, you can completely damage your entire uh, fuel intake and your fuel injector and you have to get a new one. Burnout's the same way. You know, you can't get a new, you can't get a new brain, um, but you have to do something. Once you get to that point, you either have to change industries altogether or you have to tackle a new facet of the industry, you know? Right. And I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen to so many different people where they're like, oh yeah, you know, I'm burnt out on being a freelancer. I'm going to go back to a nine to five or they leave the industry altogether and they're like, you know, I can't do this. Yeah, like that idea is for people is they don't really know how to handle that idea or maybe they don't even want to consider that um, breaks, vacation, um, you know, spending time with family would actually help them and help their business. You know, taking that 15 minute break every amount of time makes you refresh. And then when you get back to work, you're just that much better. Absolutely. Because your tank is recharged and then you have a full, you know, a a full tank to be able to put that energy towards um, what it is you're doing, you know, by trade, you know, whether that's, you know, mixing post sound or mixing live sound or, you know, shooting something. Having that full tank makes you a lot more capable of being an onset badass than trying to go through the day with an empty tank. What are some things that you try to do, like whether it be breaks, vacation, kind of like what you mentioned? Um, do you kind of like try thinking about the foods you eat, depending on like if you're on a shoot, like, you know, maybe pizza is not such a good option? Man, I wish I, I, I wish I was one of those guys that actually had a respectable diet, but I'm not. <laughs> um, as a matter of fact, one of my really good friends, um, He's uh, he's a really talented kind of one man band, does it all type kind of guy. His name's Jason Ward. He lives in um, like South Oklahoma. But I hired him on a shoot we did up in Utah and he shows up and um, he has a uh, I'm like, hey, you know, are we going to go get breakfast? And and he's like, no, I I brought my own food and. I'm just going to eat in the room. And I'm like, oh, what'd you bring? He's like, oh, well, I only eat healthy stuff. And he had brought all of his food to the shoot. And, you know, he's like, I'm very big into, you know, garbage in, garbage out. And so he kind of inspired me in a way, but it's so, it takes such an extra step that I just, I just don't always, I, I don't always do, you know, I don't always have that forethought of what kind of food I bring to set. So yeah, it, and especially with some projects, you know, it ends up being, you know, 2 a.m. pizza um, when you're rolling an overnight shoot, you know. So I wish I wish I could be that dedicated. I wish I could be like Jason. But um, the reality is I'm just not. And that's that's OK. Maybe I'll get there one day. 
Yeah, is there anything you do on your breaks or maybe like a ritual, like a walk or anything like that to finish out your day or maybe in between uh, working hours? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not completely active. Um, I don't like go on evening runs or anything like that, but I do kind of have like veg time where I'll, you know, watch something creative or I'll, you know, look at Vimeo staff picks or I'll look at some of the projects that some of my friends have posted and, um, and kind of like take in and ingest other people's creativity. And at the same time, you know, I, I think it's important. I, I do like being out in nature. So oftentimes I'll either find a way to plan a trip to where I can just get out and kind of like center myself um, or just kind of like hang out and just kind of de-stress, turn off my phone and just kind of like just chill, you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't, that, that's actually interesting. So I, I, as I'm saying this, I'm realizing I don't really have a process for unwinding. Um, maybe I should find one. <laughs> one thing that's really interesting is I think the most, like the best way to feel refreshed is nature. Like whether that be some sort of vacation, a hundred percent going for a walk, maybe even a drive out to, nature, you know, I don't know. I, I think that's the best way to get back in the mindset when you go back to the office and work. Mm -hmm. I think that a, a big part of it for me is like surrounding, my, like creating a work environment that is also a relaxation environment. Um, yeah. I work out of a, a co-working community called WeWork. And um, one of my favorite office locations is in uptown Dallas. They have a big, um, um, balcony on the ninth floor and I'll go out there on a nice day and I'll set up my laptop and that's where I'll read scripts. That's where I'll do like script breakdowns and stuff like that and send emails and it, like working in an environment like that, it's kind of, you're not really at work. You're at relaxation time, you know? Yeah. I think like for creatives and maybe just anyone really, what you surround yourself by can be the most creative um, inspiration, you know, like what you said, kind of just sitting out outside doing some work. I feel like that can just kind of really bring, you know, like a better mindset and also just a different way of looking at things is, you know, maybe if you're working in your office all day, you take your computer and then go outside and, and see if that helps you at all. Right. I mean, I, I think it, it really depends on the individual themselves, though, too, because right. some people function and some people find their um, their zen, as it were, um, in, a, in a wide variety of different types of environments. You know, um, for me, I like being I like being on the go. I like being outside. And I've kind of found that right path of, you know, hustling on the daily and go, 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 go to where I can, I can kind of like build up to where I redline like right before burnout, but I don't ever hit burnout, you know? And I think for me and my personality type, that redline space is kind of my Zen space. Does that make sense? Like where I thrive most and in, in the midst of chaos and in the midst of, you know, solving problems, uh, for clients and for projects, you know? That's my that's my kind of happy spot because I feel for me, I feel most useful there. And then my my downtime is going on a trip somewhere, whether I'm, you know, here in town 
going out to the lake or if I'm in LA going out to the beach and just like sitting there and staring at the waves and not doing anything with no agenda. Right. So people are going to listen to this podcast. What is like one piece of advice that you can give them that will kind of like greatly impact their life? I think I would kind of retool that question and and give you a different answer um, if I can. And the piece of advice that would help best prepare them since we've kind of been talking about transitioning into the freelance world Mm -hmm. is um, be smart, have a strategy, have a plan. Find one, find a plan to transition that works best for you. Um, it's not as scary as people may think jumping into the freelance space. Um, you'll definitely have your ebbs and flows, so be prepared for it. But you also have the unique freedom that nobody else in America has. I mean, people oftentimes, if you take you know a, a large subsect and look at it from the um, the American dream, right, is we want to be able to work, provide for ourselves, provide for our family, and be able to have the freedom to work when we want to work, make money when we want, and then be able to travel as often as we desire. Um, I think finding the the perfect balance between the work life um, is important too. You know, find that spot. Know where your red line is. Know where know what the early signs of burnout are and how to how to, how to see that and how to say, okay, I'm, I'm redlining it. I need to chill out. I need to go take, you know, a couple days off or take a week off and refill my tank. You don't have to always work, work, work until you're dead. You know, it's important to have a strategy on how to flesh out when you need to work, how you need to work the best and have a strategy on what money you need to make and when you need to make it by. And like I said, on my on my website on ChristopherHatchet.tv, um, there's a uh, cost of doing business calculator um, that people can buy and download and plug all their numbers into and see what they need to make to be able to make their their goal for the year. Because you set a you know you can set your own salary and let's say that you want to pay yourself seventy thousand a year. Okay, cool. Here's how much you need to make per day. And granted, that's not per you're not going to ever be working 365 days. Um, if you're going to try to do that, you're going to burn out. So don't, but you may, you may work 90 days a year. You may work 180 days or 240 days. Um, but that's up to you, you know, set your numbers, plug them in and see what you need to make to be able to survive in the freelance world. Awesome. Chris, let's wrap this up. Uh, is there anything you want to plug or say before we head out? Yeah, so a couple things I'd love to plug. Um, we're taking a group to Iceland uh, June 11th through the 21st um, for our Cinema Adventure brand. So you can go to www.cinemadventure.co. Um, that's C-I-N-E-M-A-D-V-E-N-T-U-R-E. You can also go to my website, ChristopherHatchet.tv. Um, go to my store. I've got some resources up. I've got some gear I'm selling. And I've got lots of blogs and resources for the freelancer. Um, I've got blogs on finance. I've got blogs on um, strategy. I've got blogs on social media strategy. Um, you know, go dive into it. And also, too, for those of y'all that are listening, if you uh, uh, want to work together, let's find a project to collaborate on. I'm I'm 100% into collaboration and helping uh, helping steward projects to the best of my ability. Chris, thanks for coming on the podcast. Man, Luke, thank you so much, brother. I really appreciate you. And uh, speaking of collaborating, we need to find something to do soon. Yeah, that'd be great. Awesome, brother. All right, thanks. Thank you. (laughs) 